Good to have you with us all today. It's for our congregation. It's time for our congregation of prayer, guide for daily meditation and prayer. And today, being Wednesday, it's this evening is our Advent midweek service. So what we're doing in the morning is looking at the two readings we'll have, uh, doing some consideration of them, maybe a little bit more broadly than what you'll hear in the sermon. And that way, again, you'll be prepared uh, to hear God's word this evening and to receive it with joy. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Say our memory verse for this week. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51, verse 5. Our psalm for this week is Psalm 102, beginning in verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together, and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course, he has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure, their offspring shall be established before you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. The Gospel reading for tonight will be from John chapter 11. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. There ends the reading. So you notice what Jesus does here, Uh, this is quite particular, that he attaches the promise of the resurrection, which Martha believed by faith, 
uh, as is testified by Moses and the prophets. More, more by the prophets, I would say, than Moses. We talked about that in Bible class on Sunday. Uh, how the Sadducees, for example, denied the resurrection because its testimony is not as uh, prolific, I would say, in the Torah and the books of Moses, which is their accepted scripture. But certainly the prophets Isaiah, um, Jeremiah, Job in particular, uh, come to mind. They promise the resurrection, and Martha believes that. But what Jesus does is he attaches that resurrection, that promise of the resurrection, to the promise of the offspring, the seed that would deliver the people from their sin. So he connects sin and forgiveness of sins uh, with death, sin and death connected, but then forgiveness is connected to resurrection, to eternal life. So that when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, you see how those two things go together. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, right? So that's all confessing, actually, the fruit of forgiveness of sins. Yes, we die because of our sin, but we shall live because of his forgiveness. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die, right? So you find that not only do you have faith, faith and life are actually bound together. Faith in Christ um, results in life, not only uh, temporal life, as life in this time, in this body, um, but eternal life in the resurrection of the body. Do you see that there? All right. First Thessalonians will be the text for our preaching. Paul writes, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who are asleep, who asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. All right, so this is a typical funeral sermon, uh, text for a funeral sermon, and you can see why. Um, because. Paul's instruction there in verse 18, comfort one another with these words. Of course, we preach this at a funeral. But notice um, that what Paul is comforting you with is the resurrection of the body, and that resurrection is like our Lord's resurrection. But even more than that, you note that too, uh, we will ascend to be with him in the clouds, just as he ascended into the heavens, so we will too. We will ascend, uh, ascend with him. Um, and again, that's in the body. I think this is quite important, especially in our culture today. I mean, it's been on and off an issue, a major issue uh, since the time of the Greeks, where they would confess that the body is somehow inferior to the spirit or to the soul, and that when we uh, rise from the dead, that we will rise not in our bodies, but in some kind of spiritual existence that will be superior to this mortal bodily existence. And that's not at all what the Bible confesses, but rather that we will be raised from the dead in our bodies, because our bodies are inherently good. We are made in the image of God, right? And we are in the image then of his son, Jesus, who had a body and retains his body and still um, comes to us in his body. So um, that's important to note. Now, as far as uh, maybe a broad reading to uh, consider this text, uh, if we look at, the, for example, look at the Lutheran confessions uh, on this text, it's not actually, there's not a lot that it's used or where it's used. It's used primarily in the article of the Augsburg Confession, article 
17, Christ's Return for Judgment. And it's one of the shortest articles. <laughs> it's not all that profound. Uh, let's see, is this the, yeah, here's the Augsburg Confession. Correct. Our churches teach that at the end of the world, Christ will appear for judgment and will raise the dead. First, First Thessalonians 4. He will give the godly and elect eternal life and everlasting joys, but will condemn ungodly people and the devils to be tormented without end. Matthew 25. Our churches condemn the Anabaptists who think that there will be an end to the punishments of the condemned men and devils. Right? That we call that annihilationism. They simply cease to be. Our churches also condemn those who are spreading certain Jewish opinions that before the resurrection of the dead, the godly shall take possession of the kingdom of the world and the ungodly everywhere suppressed. Right? So that we call that the the millennialism. Uh, and notice that, the, that Melanchthon is, is quite careful to acknowledge that that teaching, we, we think it comes from Revelation, but it's actually a reading of Revelation based off of um, some, a rabbinical tradition, actually, from the Jews, not from the scriptures themselves. So you would think, okay, Christ's return in judgment, article, um, article 17. The, so that was given to the Roman church. Did they have anything to say to it? Actually, they agreed. They didn't dispute this article at all. As we see in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the adversaries accept Article 17 without qualification. In it, we confess that Christ will appear at the consummation of the world. He will raise the dead and will give eternal life and eternal joys to the godly. But he will condemn the ungodly and to endless punishment with the devil. All right, so very similar. So not much um, to glean from that. On the other hand, um, one of the things I like to look at is uh, Luther's works, uh, as we have them in English. He actually preached on this text on August 22nd, 1532, August 22nd, 1532, um, at the funeral of the elector, Duke John of Saxony, right? So his elector, it's, it's like his prince. And uh, Duke John died in 1532, and he preached on this text at the funeral. This was the second sermon, so I don't know what the first sermon was. Did Luther preach the first sermon too? Let me scroll here. The first sermon, ah, now we have two sermons on the text. So, I don't know, maybe he just ran out of time, he ran out of time and they came back and they did it again later. All right, so here's what he has to say about the text. We'll go from the first sermon. Um, oh, that was a week before, August 18th. There you go. All right, so again, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, as we just read. So much we shall take up for now in order that, we, that I may not overburden myself and you. You know that the greatest divine service is the preaching of the word of God. And not only the greatest divine service, but also the best we can have in, in every situation, but especially on these solemn occasions of sorrow. There is nothing better we can do than to preach. Now, St. Paul writes to the Thessalonians that they are not to sorrow as others do who have no hope. For there were some pagans who held that it was a manly virtue not to grieve or weep when a good and loved friend died. Just as in our times the sectarians began to try to ma and make sticks and stones of us by alleging that one must eliminate the, cr the creature altogether and not accept anything that is natural. Even though father, mother, son, daughter, or prince should die, one should, or one must simply go on with dry eyes and a serene heart. Thus, these heathens were trying to reestablish virtue, but at the bottom, it is an artificial virtue and a fabricated strength, which God did not create 
and also does not please him at all. And the reason is that such a hard heart, which is not softened when a good friend dies, shows that he never did have any real liking or love for him, or he wants to be a hypocrite and appear to be so firm before men that they will praise him and say, oh, there's a man who has a firm hold on himself. The fabricated sectarian and heathen virtue we condemn and say that is not right. For not only examples from the Holy Fathers, but also the Word of God and the Scriptures declare that it is right and fitting, even godly, to mourn a good friend who has died, as St. Paul himself indicates in these words which he utters at the end of the chapter, therefore comfort one another. If one is to comfort oneself, then there must have been sorrow, grief, and mourning. Now obviously, those to whom Paul is here writing were Christian people who were pleasing to God and possessed of the Holy Spirit, and yet Paul does not disapprove of their grief but only that it must be Christian and in moderation. Since this is so, why should we not, or why should not we too properly mourn and grieve because our head, the beloved sovereign, lies here dead? For the steadfast man is not the one who thinks himself so strong that he refuses to be touched when a good friend has slipped away. Rather, the Christian is one who is hurt, but yet endures it in such a way that the spirit rules the flesh. For God has not created man to be stick or a stone. He has given him five senses and a heart of flesh in order that he may love his friends, be angry with his enemies, and to lament and grieve when his dear friends suffer evil. Thus St. Paul says in Philippians 2 that his heart was grieved for his fellow servant Epaphroditus and that God had had mercy not only on Epaphroditus but on him and permitted him to be restored lest he should have sorrow upon sorrow. Christ also was deeply moved at the death of Lazarus in John 11. So that's the context of our gospel reading. These and similar examples are far more sure and better than this unprofitable chatter which would make sticks and stones of us and forbid us to weep in sorrow over the deceased. Let uh, let this suffice as a preface and introduction to this sermon. Now let, let us listen to the text as it comforts us. This is what the beloved Paul says. We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who sleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Here St. Paul puts in some good sugar, mixing the bitterness which is here with sweetness, and saying, You are sorrowful and grieving over those who have died. It is true that it hurts to lose a good friend. I do not reproach you for this. I praise it. For it is a sign that these are good hearts, which are thus concerned about the deceased. But you must discriminate between your death and the death of the heathen, between your sorrow and that of the heathen. They have no hope after this life, but you know that you do not die, but only fall asleep. For, quote, since we believe, he goes on, that Jesus died and rose again. It is also certain that God will bring with him those who have died in Christ and will not let them simply remain where we think they remain, but will bring them to himself. All right, so. There's much more, and again, two sermons. This is in volume 51 of uh, Luther's works, if you're so interested, uh, beginning on page 229. All right, so again, two sermons. The funeral was held at the Castle Church at 7 a.m. on Sunday, August 18th, right? And Luther preached the sermon. At the request of the new electric, John Frederick, he preached again in the Castle Church at 9 a.m. on the following Thursday, uh, a treatment on the same text. Both are in the Weimar edition. Um, they were transcribed by Ruhr, one of Luther's students, uh, and printed in 1532. All right. So here's Luther's preaching on it. 
it's it's wise to grieve. It's actually good to grieve. God made us to grieve. Uh, we should grieve the death of, of a loved one, all right? But we don't grieve as those who have no hope like the heathen do, but rather as those who have the promise of Christ and his resurrection. So you can see how uh, these are great texts for us to consider in our final midweek here, this uh, sanctity of life, namely the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. All right. Let's confess the fifth petition and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that he would give them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. We pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us our trespasses. Do not look upon our sins or deny any of our prayers because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them, but we ask that you would give them all to us by grace. For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. Grant us your forgiveness, so that we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On this Wednesday, we pray for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the word of God. Pray for parents who must rear their children alone. Pray for our communities and neighborhoods. We pray that the Lord give to all peoples concord and peace, that he preserve our land from discord and strife, that he give to our country his protection in every time of need, that he direct and defend our president and all in authority, that he bless and protect our magistrates and all our people. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray in thanksgiving with those who today celebrate their birthday, Grant, Scarlett, and Karen, with Susan and Ken uh, in their recovery, those who are ill, uh, who are uh, receiving treatment or recovering from surgery, especially Marcella, Jan, Kelsey, Ron, Reverend Herzog, Brad, Janet, and Timothy, Pastor Lindau, Sandy, Linda, Joan, Ken, Penny, and Roman. Pray for our homebound, Bev, David, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey, and our mission of the month, the place of refuge, as well as Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray our collect for this week. Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. 
For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn for this week, When All the World Was Cursed. That concludes our congregation of prayer for today, December 16th, 2020. So great to have you all with us as uh, we pray together. Of course, you can join us this evening for uh, a service of evening prayer that uh, streaming live from the sanctuary here at Sherman Center, north of Random Lake. So join us then if you're able. Um, otherwise, we'll see you again in the morning.
You're welcome, everyone. See you then.